welcome to the Coffee Surf Yoga Wine Podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Tambio. Do you want to live a life that makes you happy, healthy, and well? On this podcast, we'll explore wellness insights and inspiration that will help you to cultivate more joy and well-being. I want you to live your best, most beautiful, and vibrant life. Because when we nourish ourselves, we nourish our families, our communities, and our world. Thank you for joining me on this journey to well-being. I'm so glad you're here. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Coffee Surf Yoga Wine Podcast. On today's episode, I'll be talking with Rain Elizabeth Stickney, a lifelong meditator, expressive artist, and body worker. Rain takes an integral approach using body, mind, heart, and spirit to gently guide clients and community into their own natural wisdom. Rain has a BA from Sonoma State University in psychology with special studies in relaxation training, stress management, biofeedback, and somatics. She continued her formal studies with an MA from the California Institute of Integral Studies in East-West Psychology and a certificate in Expressive Arts Consulting and Education. Rain offers healing and meditation services from her home in Vermont through her private practice, Rain Elizabeth Healing Arts. I was privileged to participate in a meditation journey with Rain for her new podcast, Every Moment is Sacred. And I have to tell you that it was such a beautiful experience. Rain has the most calming, authentic presence. It's really like a warm embrace. I've also been included in Rain's daily emails in which she shares her daily gratitudes and invites us to share our gratitudes with her each day. It's a wonderful, connected way to engage in a gratitude practice. Truly, Rain is putting so much good out into the world and she has so much to share. Without further ado, the amazing Rain Elizabeth Stickney. Well, hello, Rain. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, Carrie. It's so good to have you on the show today. I'm thrilled actually to have this opportunity to talk with you about such an important and interesting topic, which is meditation. Would it be okay with you if we just begin by talking about how you learned about meditation? Oh, sure. Meditation is one of my favorite topics, and it's been with me my whole life. And by that, I mean that my parents were meditators, and so I naturally learned from them. They were my first teachers, and I also adopted some of their teachers just by way of family lineage. And some of those teachers were Tibetan Buddhist teachers, Baba Ram Das, and... Uh, there's a woman named Hilda who I never knew, but she was one of my mother's main teachers who taught the Vedic scriptures through Upanishads. And so I know of Hilda through my mom, but she's not somebody who I knew in person. And then as I grew up, especially as a teenager, I really needed to find my own spiritual practices, including meditation. What forms of meditation did I like in my own accord rather than continuing the the adoption of my family's legacy, just really wondering what was true for me. And so I explored different things like firewalking and Sufism and 
various forms of Buddhism and Christianity and fundamental Christianity and just everything interested me, everything religious and spiritual. And it wasn't until I was in graduate school when I met a teacher finally that really spoke to me and really answered the questions, including questions of meditation that touched me in the places in my heart that really needed answers. And she is an Advaita Vedanta teacher, and she teaches a very traditional form of Vedanta that is the oldest tradition of India. And when I connected with her, I stopped looking for a teacher. I'm just so fascinated by everything that you just said. I think it's so amazing that you kind of grew up learning about meditation, that it was really kind of just a part of your childhood and yeah, I can completely relate to that that feeling that you needed, though, to figure it out for yourself and kind of go on that path of looking at all the different options and, and seeing which one really resonated with you um, and felt good to you. So you finally settled on Vedanta. Can you tell us more about that style of meditation? In that style of meditation, the way that Radha, my teacher, teaches it, it's very kind And it's so kind that she has even said things like, if you feel tired during meditation, it's okay to sleep, which is very different from um, Zen Buddhism, for example, where people are sitting in a posture purposely, often looking at a wall, and there's there's a physical stature to the meditation that's part of the practice, which I, I honor, I I like all these forms of spirituality and and meditation, but it was so nice to be with a teacher who had this other view of kindness being the most important part of a meditation practice. And from her view and from her being with her teacher, it's understood from that perspective that to really understand oneself, one's mind has to relax. And in order for one's mind to relax, it's often the best shot to be very kind with one's mind. And so if something like sleep is desired during meditation, sleep, because that's the most kind thing to do for the self. And that way, you know, when you're meditating and you're not sleeping, you're actually there because you really want to be. Well, I. I love this idea of being kind to yourself in meditation. It's, you know, it just feels like the concept of self-compassion, being compassionate to oneself, which I think that many of us in our culture have a hard time with that. We're often actually more self-critical and um, we actually are so hard on ourselves all the time. And I think a common thing that I've heard in meditation is people will feel like, oh my God, I'm just doing this wrong. Um, And they kind of almost beat themselves up about not being able to still their mind or not being able to be present or not being able to stop their thoughts or something like that. So that is refreshing to hear that perspective of really being kind to ourselves in meditation and even allowing ourselves to sleep if that's what we need. You know, I know that you are also offering, you know, healing and meditation services. So, you know, what kind of led you down that path to kind of want to take what you learned about meditation on a personal level and start to share that with others? There were so many childhood experiences that I had that 
gave me a lot of questions about spirituality and also gave me the opportunity to turn toward healing. And there were little seeds that were planted when I was a kid. Like one of my sisters had a very difficult time falling asleep at night. And so what she really liked was for me to tickle her back and I would tickle her back and I would help her fall asleep. And that was a moment of using connection to help somebody else and things like that. I really enjoyed all throughout my childhood and my teenage years. And I lived in many different households as a child. And one move that I made was from my father's house to my mother's house. And when I lived with my mother, there was a friend of mine who was very distraught. And I had this conversation with my friend, her name was Shannon, and we were young. We were about nine years old. So we were little kids. And I found myself really rooting her on and really wanting her to believe in things that could be good and really wanting to help her to see that even though things were hard, things could be better. And, and because that's what I had lived through. I had lived through things that were hard that were becoming better. And that was another moment of offering healing to somebody who really needed some help seeing things from a different perspective. And so body work, healing through conversation and and like motivational thinking, interest in tarot cards, interest in hypnosis. My mother and my second stepfather were both very skilled at hypnosis. So there are all these little tiny seeds that were planted, planted, planted. And then when I was in high school, I took my first, actually junior high school. So young teenager, I was taking my first psychology courses and I got very interested in the workings of the mind, thoughtful communication, and what is happening in relationship. And so onward, this grew and grew and grew. The meditation comes in when I was in college studying biofeedback which is a wonderful way to facilitate knowledge of one's physiology. And it also opens the doors to see what happens when a person is meditating. Is the body actually relaxing during this particular meditation? Or is the body getting amped up and going into a flight or fight mode while a person is meditating? And it gave me these, these insights into the bridge between spirituality and the body and the mind. And so onward, onward, bridging all these realms together and finally really embodying the heart as part of a healing and meditative practice in graduate school where I studied the expressive arts and East-West psychology and learning because it was what was important to me. And I found it was also valuable to other people to really have space to look at the body, the mind, the heart, and the spirit, and how they're all interacting with each other in one being. Yeah. Well, that's so beautiful how you said that. And it's so intriguing. Um, Yeah. I'm really interested in the connection, that mind body connection, and even, you know, how our brain is impacted when we meditate? What happens to our brain when we meditate? That's a great question. And the answer is dependent on the kind of meditation that's taking place and how the meditator is using that 
school of thought. So if I, as an individual, if I am meditating in a way that has a lot of rigor to it, you have to do this, you have to do that, which there are lots of forms of meditation that have very strict rules. I don't relax under those conditions. Another person might. So for a person who is doing any form of meditation and they're actually relaxing, what happens is their hands get warm, their heart rate slows and regulates, their breathing creates a beautiful rhythm, the skeletal muscles relax, meaning all the large muscles of the body, the smooth muscles that are wrapped around all of the blood vessels relax and it allows the blood flow, which is what warms the hands. There's a skin conductivity that changes in the hands that allows for just the slightest bit of tackiness, but not sweaty and not dry. That's directly related to the emotional response. So the emotional response lessens during a relaxed meditation and the brain waves slow down and a person at the very least settles in an alpha state, which is a relaxed, but aware state of mind. And then there are slower and um, more subtle states of consciousness from there, um, decreasing arousal, not necessarily attention. It's just that we start to pay attention to something different, but that relaxed aware state is a, a beautiful state to hang out in during meditation. As you described it, it just made me feel like so relaxed, just hearing about it. Yeah, that sounds like a place where we would want to be. So how do you think meditation can support us in our daily lives? Oh, so beautiful to consider that. I find a lot of support from my meditation practice in my daily life because I am able to remember to take a breath before responding when something triggering or surprising happens, or I'm working with my son getting ready for the day in the morning, and maybe he's going slower than I would like. My meditation practice reminds me to take a breath rather than reacting. So there's that slower paced response. So I'm more likely to be present in my daily life because I meditate. Whereas if I weren't meditating, I might be more likely to have a shorter trigger response, you know, yell or scream quickly, say things I don't mean, even be more clumsy, just less, less present in, in some form. So what I find with others that I work with in meditation, what they describe is that their meditation practices help them to become more conscious in their relationships often their love relationships or their familial relationships or a friend they're having a hard time with so that they can begin to have more compassion 360 degrees. So not just for them, themselves, not just for the other person, but actually the kind of compassion that embodies the entire experience. Mm -hmm. And I find that they really like that, that learning that they go through that's supported by their meditation practice. Yeah, I love that how you described how meditation can support us in all of our relationships, you know, in in helping us to respond um, in a better way. And that's something that I know that I'm always working on. I, you know, I started learning about meditation about 
maybe six years ago, I guess before that, I, I really didn't know anything about meditation. I kind of started learning about it through um, doing yoga because it kind of would come up in yoga class. And I was like, well, what is this meditation thing? You know, so kind of started um, experimenting with it and trying different things. And yeah, I think that it is a constant practice, you know, I mean, like, you know, how you describe getting to that point where we can respond rather than react. It's like, it's like, and maybe I need to just keep meditating more. I don't know, but I think <laughs> I'm still working on that. But I think that I have, you know, I think I have gotten better though at at that um, over the course of years, um, slowly over time. So I like the way that a meditation practice starts to build our awareness about our emotions and kind of enable us to start to catch ourselves, just be more aware in those moments. And then when we do make mistakes, I guess, or slip up, maybe that's where the self-compassion comes into. Mm -hmm, for sure. And there's even a beautiful discernment that can happen, which happened for me just um, yesterday. I was teaching meditation at our local library and it was during a period of silence. So it's really just an internal process that was happening for me, but I was able to notice what was happening inside prior to me turning against myself. And there was no trigger. There was no reason for me to turn against myself in that moment. It was just that my mind relaxed, dissolved, and opened enough for me to see some of my own internal processes and notice I am not turning against myself, but I can feel how this is a moment where I might habitually, not consciously, not on purpose, but one of those unconscious mechanisms in my psyche where I could say something mean to myself right then, which I was able to choose not to because I could see prior to it happening. And this kind of insight and awareness is very common in meditation where the mind begins to reveal itself, reveal its construct to the meditator. Yeah. I mean, why do we do that? Why do we just always start to criticize ourselves? <laughs> <laughs> well, it might be a, a unique answer for everyone, but for me, I was able to inquire what, what is this for me? What, what would have me do this in the first place? And I noticed that it was a specific defense mechanism because if I hurt myself first, anybody else who were who would try to hurt me wouldn't get in because I would already be so hurt and kind of swollen and numb from my own self-harm that I wouldn't be able to feel anybody else's harm inflicted against me. Mm -hmm. Now, all of that is unnecessary in my life right now, but there is a time in my life where it was necessary to figure out what to do with a lot of harm that was around me and inflicted upon me. And so that likely was just a showing of something very old that I once used as a um, unfortunate, but reasonable coping mechanism mm -hmm. that, that I can let go of. I, I love how, you know, meditation can help us to just create that self-awareness um, that you're talking about here. 
And it's so interesting, you know, the self-inquiry, you know, and how we can kind of start to peel back the layers on ourself and our own subconscious and these defense mechanisms or coping mechanisms that we've kind of built up subconsciously, you know, over time um, and, and start to recognize how they're not serving us and kind of try to let those things go. But it really has to start with that self-awareness. Um, which it seems that meditation is kind of a pathway to that it can help Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awareness is the first step of change mm-hmm. and meditation does help with that. So how do you think somebody, you know, in today's daily modern life, how can somebody start to incorporate a meditation practice? I love to suggest starting with something small, like even one minute. And I actually mean like setting a timer for one minute and just choosing to be quiet for that minute. And from there, or maybe somebody feels ready for 20 minutes off the bat or another amount of time, it's just finding the right amount of time that allows a person to sit still or walk in a walking meditation, but whatever the task is that they're actually able to be with themselves. And in the beginning, there's no need to come up against that barrier of agitation that can occur around, oh, it hasn't been 20 minutes yet. I have to force myself to sit here. Like that really isn't necessary ever, but especially not in the beginning because it's the most kind practice to find what works and start there. Other people might like to start with some chanting, or they might like to start with nothing timed, but just a walking meditation where they're walking purposefully and consciously and really feeling their feet on the ground. But whatever the small step is, that's what I suggest at first. Do you think that it's easier to meditate with your eyes closed? I know you were just talking about a walking meditation. Do you think that it's easier with your eyes closed because of the reduced stimulation? Usually. The last I checked the statistics and when I worked in the biofeedback labs back in the 90s, that was the case. I don't know what the current research is, but I would imagine it's still similar that just like you said, with the decreased visual stimulus, it's natural to sink inward. Yeah, but I do appreciate what, you know, what that idea you offered about doing meditation while walking, because maybe that's an access point for some people um, Mm -hmm. to just try to be really aware while they're and just really conscious, like you said, Mm -hmm. of just everything they're feeling in their body or everything they're just that is around them. And, and I mean, in that moment, should you try not to let your thoughts go in any direction or, or how, what should we do about our mind while we're doing a walking meditation? So the walking meditation is a practice of beginning such that the person is aware of their physical form first before moving, that there is first just an awareness of body and particularly where the feet are in relationship to the ground. So if I'm sitting right now, I can feel my feet on the ground, especially if I put my attention on them. And this could begin a walking meditation. And as I rise, I would feel that movement. And so the mind starts to turn toward presence of movement. 
And the meditation is a moving meditation on purpose. And now I'm lifting my foot. I feel one foot on the ground and one foot elevated. And now I'm extending my leg. I feel my heel on the ground and onward being present with every action as it occurs. And so the mind has the task of looking at the body. And when the mind starts to go and think about the to-do list or some other thing, or there's a bird or something, (laughs) it's just gently coming back to, and here's my body and we are walking. We meaning like I, who is in my body, am walking on purpose and attending. It's like a an inner orchestra and guiding the mind back to that orchestration of move of movement. Kind of reminds me of like a body scan. I mean, you can do a body scan when you're sitting just in a room, but then I guess you could also do one when you're, when you're walking. What other benefits should somebody maybe expect or hope to have from doing a, a walking meditation like that? Well, it would be so exciting to experiment and then, and then ask you and see, what did you find, Carrie? How was it for you? (laughs) But what I know so far is that often people report feeling very at peace and very aware, again, describing this alpha state, which is often a, the proprioception strengthens. So the 360 degree awareness becomes so peaceful and present that the person in walking meditation or even just finishing doesn't need to like look around real quick, at least for the time, because they're aware of what's going. It's like the awareness grows around the body in concentric circles. And the person is in the middle of their own awareness. And that peace radiates out in these energetic ripples. And the felt sense is, I'm so relaxed. I I really like how you just describe those energetic ripples coming off of us that, you know, it's like almost like we're just emanating peace. And it seems like that's another benefit of meditation is that yes, we ourselves feel more at peace, but then we're going to radiate that out to others as well. Yes. So it ends up really impacting all of the people that are around us and and everyone that we encounter. Yes. That's really beautiful. And I really also liked how you said that, you know, you could start with just one minute. I mean, I've heard others say things like, you know, if you think you can do five minutes, do three minutes, you know, or if you think you can Mm. do two minutes, do one minute, and then you can Mm. always go longer. (laughs) So Uh I like that approach as well of, um, you know, just starting with what seems really easy and just easing in from there. Yeah. So I think that that's another uh, great bit of advice for how to start uh, a meditation practice. What if somebody starts trying to do a meditation practice and they just feel like, wow, I'm just not doing this right. Something just doesn't seem right. Um, It's, you know, and they start that self down that path of self-criticism. What guidance would you give to someone about this? First of all, the guidance I would give would be to be gentle with oneself, to notice those thoughts and feelings. And secondly, that sounds like a time where a teacher would be very useful. It could be 
a yoga teacher who meditates. It could be me. It could be another teacher that that person feels drawn to, or maybe is friends with, or, I mean, it could be anybody, but somebody to work with them. Maybe they need a space that's set up just right, or maybe they need some validation for how far they've come and what they are up to. Maybe they need some instruction. There is very valuable meditation instruction that happens in community or between friends or between teacher and student. And there's no right or wrong way to meditate or to go about um, finding support for meditation. It's most important to notice what works for oneself. And when one isn't able to find their own path to get get what is needed to find their way. So if somebody doesn't want to meditate, that's fine. But if somebody's meditating and they're having a hard time, there are lots and lots of tips and tricks that are available. Yeah, that's such a good idea to, you know, to to remember that we don't have to necessarily be in this alone, that, you know, yeah. there's people who can support us um, and we can find um, so many resources out there. So yeah. Can you tell us a bit about the current work that, that you're doing? Um, you know, I know that you are a meditation teacher and I'm not sure if you're also still doing work with body work, but, but what are the, what are the current services that you're offering? I, I do hope to start body work again one day and I haven't um, just from the pandemic and a transition of a move, but I miss it and it's wonderful. And I, I did create a modality that was a mixture of body work and spiritual counseling and um, meditation suited for the client's needs. So it would be both some counseling and some body work time and whatever spirituality was right for that person would often show up. So these days, my work is centered around meditation and spiritual counseling. And the kind of spiritual counseling that I do is very psychologically oriented and includes the whole lifespan. So I work often with couples and then I also work with individuals and then I work with these meditation groups. Uh, and Rain, I believe you're also starting a podcast. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us a bit about your pod, your new podcast that you're going to be starting? Oh, thank you. It's so exciting. It is called Every Moment is Sacred. And the trailer is already out. The first bonus episode, the second bonus episode um, launches tomorrow. And then the longer episodes start in January of 2023. And the podcast is a sharing of meditation experiences as well as healing conversations. So I find that Every moment of healing is valuable, and sometimes it is a, a big story like growing up with a narcissistic father and what that's like and how that affected somebody's development, and sometimes it is a conversation about something that someone is healing in the present moment that's more of a discovery in the moment, um, but I'm most interested in helping people turn towards healing and using meditation if, if they're drawn to it, but especially in those moments where we don't know what to do, I find that healing is always possible and how we define healing is important. So are we looking for symptoms to change 
or are we looking for acceptance of what is or some combination of both and what do they have to do with each other? And so these explorations and conversations address healing and meditation in everyday life. Well, that sounds like a wonderful resource that people should definitely check out uh, if they're interested in learning more about meditation and healing. Um, Yeah. So thank you for putting that out into the world. That's so exciting. Thank you. Um, I'd like to shift gears a little bit now and talk to you about the pillars of coffee, surf, yoga, and wine. Mm. I think about these four pillars as pillars for our health and wellness, and they can be defined separately, but they can also be interconnected. So I'm interested to find out about how you apply these pillars in your life. So I'd like to ask you some questions about that. Great. Um, So starting off with coffee, I kind of think of this as how we start off our day, how we set ourselves up for success. So do you have any morning practices, habits, or routines that you use to start off your day in a positive way? I always start my day with prayer and gratitude, and that's before I get out of bed. And I actually don't let myself get out of bed until I can find the prayer for my life and what I'm grateful for. And sometimes it's very easy. And there are other moments where I'm like, no, I just, I don't know. I just, I'm actually tired and (laughs) five, four minutes. But for me to find the prayer for my life has everything to do with being in alignment with my truth and finding gratitude has everything to do with opening to what the day holds for me. That's a beautiful way to start off your morning. And I think that's such a powerful practice if we can get ourselves to do it every single day. Like you said, I know sometimes (laughs) it can be a struggle, (laughs) but um, so do you think of like, multiple things that you're grateful for? Do you say, oh, I'm going to think of three things I'm grateful for each morning, or is it just one or, or do you, does it matter? It might not matter how many things there are. It just has to be true. And so my very personal practice, it's just between me and my own heart. I, I wait until I sincerely feel that gratitude, which is how I do all of my gratitude practices. But There's something precious about having a practice that's really just for me. Nobody might know what I'm feeling grateful for when I wake up in the morning. But if I can feel my own gratitude, I am filled with that feeling. And I think that's the trick, right? Is feeling it, feeling it in your body. So it's not just thinking of something, but it's, it's like thinking about it until you really feel it in your body. Do you agree? Mm -hmm. Yes. Or even the other way around, allowing it to occur. So there can be the thinking and feeling, and there can also be the feeling. What is this gratitude? Oh, yes. I'm so grateful for these sheets. They're so soft and Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm wrapped in a cloud. Right. So that would be a feeling that comes into thinking. Yeah. I love that. First of all, how it can be so simple as just being like, wow, I'm so grateful for these sheets or how comfortable my bed is this comfy bed. Mm -hmm. Um, And also I'm interested in how starting off with gratitude or just using gratitude of gratitude practice at any time starts to rewire our brain so that we naturally start to look for gratitude more instead of Mm -hmm. focusing on the negative. Mm -hmm. Have you found that that's the case in your life or even in maybe your research? 
Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I, I have a gratitude practice that I offer professionally. And so I've been able to witness other people and their gratitude experiences and time and time again, what thrills me the most and happens of other people's own accord is that through the practice of gratitude, it isn't just that they start looking for gratitude more than the negativity it's that they start feeling gratitude without thinking about it. Mm. And then they, in their own words, in their own time, are beginning to wake up feeling grateful before they think their first thoughts. And they're noticing that they're living a life of gratitude more and more readily in a way that makes sense to them. That sounds amazing. How long does it take people to start to feel like that? (laughs) <laughs> Great question. How long does it take to work? <laughs> oh, well, that would be some juicy research to actually get some numbers around. You know, there there is some older research about it takes around a month to make a new habit. So mm-hmm. that would be, you know, kind of a guess out there. Like maybe it would take a month. I don't know. I don't know what the current research would be, but it would be something really wonderful to look into. Yeah. Totally. Okay. So the next pillar is surf. And, you know, I kind of think of this as physical exercise and also getting out into nature mm-hmm. um, and how that really supports our well being. So, how do you incorporate this pillar into your life? Well, I love walking with friends or family, you know, loved ones. I love going for walks that are accompanied. I love walking solo. We happen to have a great blessing of living in the middle of some beautiful woods, like the woods that are behind me right now. And so I I can walk every day, just stepping out my front door. I've also practiced yoga on and off throughout my life. And so that's something that I have a little bit of a meandering journey with, but that's a mainstay. Um, in the past, I've been a runner. I've ran a marathon. I love distance running. I am not a distance runner right now, but that is one of my loves or it has been, um, swimming has been another love. So yes, exercise, moving in nature, I garden and even my indoor plants for me count as being with nature and nurturing them and watching them grow and being with what they have to offer. Oh yeah. I really like that reminder of how we can bring nature even into our homes. <clears throat> Cause I think it's interesting how there's research around how even just looking at a picture of nature, <clears throat> excuse me, um, can actually really stimulate us in a positive way. So, I mean, so yeah, if we don't have access to even the outdoors, even just bringing images or real plants into our homes can make such a difference. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, if we are able to being outside in nature is just, is just so impactful Mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you do, that you've done some yoga in the past and that's the next pillar. And, you know, while yoga can be a physical practice, you know, that we do, uh, you know, a physical activity, it can also go beyond that. So I also think about this pillar as, how we cultivate our self-awareness, manage our emotions, center ourselves, cultivate that beneficial state of being and mindset. 
So I know that this probably connects closely to all of the things that we've been talking about today, but what practices do you do that support this pillar? Well, um, other than the specific asana of yoga, of hatha yoga and moving my body, there is chanting that I do every day. I really, really love chanting and much of it is Vedic chanting in Sanskrit, although there are many ways to chant and sing spiritual songs or that sort of thing. So I use my voice. I've had a lot of work in my life through through my voice and it's also a way to connect with my mother who passed away a few years ago. She was a singer, songwriter, and had a lovely voice. I mean, just wonderful, talented person. But in terms of mindset and just going a little further in that direction, there are so many practices that I utilize day-to-day in my partnership and with my son. I find that householding and parenting are two places where it's very easy to get messy and not know what to do. And there can be multiple people's reactivity reacting against each other. And so being mindful at home, I take time to feel my feet on the floor, respond from my whole body and really listen to who I'm with, really listen and take the courage to speak from my heart. Yeah, that's that's such a good reminder to be mindful in our daily interactions. Yeah, and it's um, so easy to forget that. So yeah, thank you for that reminder. Okay, finally, the last pillar is wine. And when I think about this, I think about relaxation and rest and also connection and relationships and how all of these things are really needed in order to support us as a whole person. So what practices do you have in this area? So I'm imagining this question is about winding down from the day. Is that right? Yes, definitely. Okay. I'm just imagining what's true for me here. There, there are different things that can happen With my son, there's often bedtime reading or storytelling. That's a wonderful wind down to the end of our day. With my partner, we do a wonderful job of sharing vulnerabilities with each other and gratitudes. And so sometimes that's how we'll end our day together, where if we're sharing vulnerabilities, that means that we're just telling each other something that we feel vulnerable about without the need to have anything fixed or a long conversation. It's just more like, this is vulnerable for me. I want you to know. And gratitudes, of course, just sharing gratitudes about each other or about our day. And for myself as, as just an individual person, I do love to have a little bit of dessert at the end of the day. I like to have something sweet, something Mm -hmm. kind of fun. Um, And I love my work and I often end my day with some sort of work task that feels really important, not necessarily something that will gear me up and keep me from sleeping, but something that's enjoyable, perhaps creative, um, some writing, something that is allowing my true spirit to come come forth and to manifest form. So it's, it's like an act of being here in my life and closing out the day really present with myself. You mentioned so many 
great things that we can do at the end of our day, you know, connecting with other people, um, you know, connecting with our children. Yeah. One of my favorite moments of the day too, is saying goodnight to my son. That's something that I'm always grateful for. And, and then connecting with ourselves. So yeah, I mean, that's pretty much everything. So that's perfect. You know, in our lives, we're so busy and it always seems like we're just moving at a nonstop pace. And yet so much of our conversation today has been about trying to do the opposite. Why do you think that it's important to prioritize trying to find more stillness in our lives or trying to move a bit slower? And why do you think that it's important to practice all of these pillars that we just talked about? I feel the bigness of this inquiry. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm reminded of one of my favorite yoga teachers. His name was Carl Erb, and he he passed away a number of years ago, Um, but he was an Iyengar teacher. And Iyengar is all about form and there's really a right way to do things. And I, I loved how Carl instructed Iyengar. But one of the things that he would say is he would say, because also in Iyengar, there can be a fast pace. If you're, if you're doing it, if you're in alignment, boom, 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 you can jump around like a monkey. (laughs) It's so much fun. So he would say only rush as fast as you can breathe. Meaning that if one is connected with one's breath, go fast. If you want to go fast, go fast. Just keep breathing and know you're breathing. So there's that it's, you know, connection in self in the fast pace of life entirely possible. And it takes a little mindfulness and discipline, but to slow down and the value of that, I find that there are so many beautiful things in this world that are easily missed when the attention is too quick from one thing to another and slowing down allows more beauty in and beauty can mean aesthetic beauty. It can mean beauty of connections. It could mean the surprising thing in nature, a crocus blooming through the snow and in early spring, it can mean um, the sound of a bird call that hasn't been heard before by the individual, like slowing down just opens up a realm of life that's easily missed. That's such a good reminder and really so beautiful. It just was sounded like poetry the way that you just said all of that. Yeah, you have so much wisdom to share, Rain, and you shared so much with us today and you're doing so much good in the world. How can others connect with you? Oh, I would love for anyone to visit my website, which is rainelizabeth.org. And all of my things can be found there. If any listener is already on Insight Timer, I have some meditations up there. So that's another easy way to find me. And there is a mailing list. Please join my mailing list. Right now, there's a free one-page essay on forgiveness when you join that list through my site. So I'm around and happy to connect. Wow. I love that. I love insight timer. So that is great to know that you're on there. Mm -hmm. And um, thank you for sharing all these beautiful resources with us and with the world. And thank you so much for being with me here today. This conversation has been so enlightening and such a delight. It's wonderful to talk with you, Carrie. Wow. What a beautiful conversation. Rain has such a soothing presence and is full of such gentle wisdom. 
There were so many deep poetic moments in our conversation. Some of my biggest takeaways were, number one, meditation has a profound effect on our physical body. When we relax during meditation, our hands get warm, our heart rate slows and regulates, our breathing creates a beautiful rhythm, our muscles relax, our emotional response lessens, and our brain waves slow down, allowing us to settle into a relaxed but aware state of mind. Number two, meditation can help us in our daily lives by helping us to remember to stop and take a breath before responding when something triggering or surprising happens. In this way, it helps us to be more present and it helps us to have better relationships. Number three, one way for us to access meditation is through a walking meditation that begins with an awareness of our physical form and our relation to the earth. People report that a walking meditation makes them feel at peace, aware, and present. Number four, if you think you may be doing meditation wrong or find yourself going down the path of self-doubt and self-criticism, be gentle with yourself and consider seeking out a meditation teacher or community. Number five, slowing down opens up a realm of life that's easily missed. What was your biggest takeaway from this episode? If you enjoyed this conversation and got something out of it, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. It would mean so much to me to hear about how this podcast is impacting you. Also, if you know someone who would benefit from this episode, please share it with them. Sharing this episode or leaving a kind and thoughtful review will help this podcast to grow and impact more people. Please also connect with me on Instagram at Coffee Surf Yoga Wine. You can also join my Coffee Surf Yoga Wine Facebook group at www.facebook.com slash groups slash Coffee Surf Yoga Wine. I would love to have you as a part of our growing wellness community. Till next time, may you be well and enjoy some coffee, surf, yoga, and wine.